Please sit comfortably. So good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone on Zoom. Um, this talk will be a little bit of a, um, a, a history lesson in terms of the, um, the background of this group, um, but it'll also be relevant in terms of practice, I hope, too. Um, but as many of you may know, um, this practice, this same practice comes via Japan um, and prior to that through China and then back to India many, many years ago. And there's been two um, primary schools in Zen which originated in China and that is the Rinzai School and the Soto School. And then they passed on through to Japan and one of the, 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 the primary teacher who introduced Rinzai Zen in Japan was um, Isai, which was about <coughs> the 12th century. And the main person who introduced um, Soto Zen in Japan was Dogen, who we make a lot of, lot of reference to in, in our, our practice. And um, those, those two schools went side by side. And uh, Rinzai Zen, um, is more associated with the koan system of Zen. For those of you who don't know what koans are, they're the, it's the folklore, like the collected folklore of Zen, where there are paradoxes and stories which you can't understand intellectually, and they challenge you to develop your intuitive wisdom, you know, to, to, to realise them. And it's a, a curriculum that you go through. <coughs> And they emphasise um, the significance of having um, insight experiences called Kensho or Satori in Zen. So they're, they're sudden, it's a sudden school, sudden experiences that lead to realisation, um, which are transformative in your life. But they also do meditation. You know, meditation is very much a part of that school. In the Soto school, um, they don't really emphasise koans that much, although they do come into it a little bit. But the emphasis is on sitting, but it's a form of sitting where um, there's no gain. You're not sitting to gain anything because of you being, there's nothing to gain. It's right here now. So what are you searching for outside of this present moment? And so the main practice in that is shikantaza, which translates as just sitting. And, um, and Dogen was the really, really promoted that view of practice. So one seems to be about the gaining of some special experience and going through the different pathways of koans, you know, to deepen or to bring about that experience. And the other one seems to be saying there's nothing special you've got to gain in the first place because it's all right here now. And as, um, uh, and may I say that this school that I've, you know, had done a transmission through um, is actually on both, on both sides, it's an integration um, of both of those schools. And um, in, with my first teacher, Robert Aiken, he came down, he, he was in a lineage that came down through what's called the Sanbo Kyodin, which was begun by um, a Japanese Zen priest called Harada uh, Roshi, who was a Soto priest, 
um, did his full Soto training, about you know five or six years of intense training, and did something which which is very mightn't seem so radical in our culture, but it was something very radical that he did in his culture. He said, "I don't think this is enough. I'm going to do the Rinzai training as well." So he went through the full Rinzai training and brought the Koan system back into the Soto fold. So it was an integration of both schools. So there was a Harada Roshi, and then his successor was um, Yasutani Roshi, his main successor. His successor was Yamada Roshi, and then Robert Aiken, who um, used to be my teacher, was a successor of Yamada Roshi. Um, and Wang in the Ordinary Mind School, that, uh, that was about, with Robert Aiken, was like about 15, 20 years of my Zen training, so that's also had an influence on me. And I used to be an apprentice teacher in that school before I changed over. But with um, uh, the Ordinary Mind Zen School, um, Joko's teacher, my teacher was Charlotte Joko Beck in San Diego, and her teacher was Mayazumi Roshi. And Mayazumi Roshi was a Soto priest um, but his lineage came down through the Sambo Kyoden as well, through Yasutani Roshi, as well as through his father, which was a common practice in in um, in Japanese then, and also a Rinzai teacher, so it came down through three people. So uh, in, in our school, we don't get any, into any sectarian rivalries about whether Rinzai is better or Soto. It's better because we've done an integration of the both. And so in, in this school, um, uh, some people take up uh, koan practice and some people aren't that particularly interested in koan practice and what that they they eventually aspire to practicing is shikantata, which is just sitting, which is just an open awareness to what's occurring without actually having trying to gain anything. Now they may, they may sound, and, and also, um, some of these names may not be familiar to you, but when Zen first became popularised in the West in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, I started in the 1970s, I was very much influenced by D.T. Suzuki, um, who was um, in the Rinzai school, and um, people like Alan Watts, who I know some of you are familiar with. And some of the critique of that now is that because D.T. Suzuki was in the Rinzai school, he promoted that approach and in some ways, belittle will be too strong a word, but diminished the importance of the, the Soto school. So there's a very strong emphasis on sudden enlightenment experiences, Kensho, Satori, Koan practice. And with D.T. Suzuki and Alan Watts, thought that sitting meditation was really not that important mm -hmm. um, when it's really a, a core core aspect of all Buddhist practice. But that kind of got put to the side. Whereas the Soto school has a very strong sitting practice. The criticism of it is, was a crit criticism both ways. The criticism of Soto practice is it can end up being what's called quietism. So you just sit quietly and you go into maybe a deep, calm state. Um, but there's no, there's no, there's not necessarily any insight coming out of it. It's just calm. You know, it doesn't, it's not breaking down 
the rigid conceptual ways in which we view life. You know, there's no not much insight into it other than calm. That's what quietism is. So that's the Rinzai criticism of the Soto school. The Soto school would say the Rinzai school is that it's it's um, it's uh, by by trying to get to special experiences, um, sudden experiences, it's overlooking the present moment as it is right now. It's putting it as a goal to be reached in the future. And then the koan system becomes a kind of a gold star approach, you know, of getting your gold stars as you go through each koan, you know, and becoming better as you go along and getting some status out of it when there's no status to it. Now, that's a negative view of both both approaches. But because we, we integrate both and we do both, I can only tell you, I can really only say from experience rather than something that I could say intellectually that there really isn't any conflict between the two schools at all. And, um, and if you practice in a sense of just being present without any intention of gaining a special experience or shooting from a special experience, that will deepen your experience and insight will occur and 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 you'll find that you can do Cohen study from that position, you know, um, and that some, some insight will manifest anyway. It's not just a matter of, of calming the mind. And um, and you, you can do you can do Cohen practice um, with a view to just engaging in each challenge as it comes up without feeling like that you're progressing or gaining anything out of it. What happens in Zen practice, from both points of view, you're actually not gaining anything either way. The, the, the passing of the koan is a superficial kind of gaining, gaining because you can say, well, I pass that when I took it off. But the whole, the whole nature of Zen practice, whichever school, you, you you take up, it's it's a realization that there's nothing to gain, right? That every the, the the ordinary wonderfulness and interconnectedness of life is right here now, and by turning up to the present moment, not trying to push for something beyond the present moment, brings you in, into that realization, brings you into that insight of the um, the perfect disorder of everything that is now, including you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's really, experientially, there's really no difference between them. Um, but as long as a practice um, has, as I refer to it as the three-legged stool, as long as a practice has um, cultivation of insight, which is sort of getting past the ego identity into an experience of no self and recognising the the impermanence of life and the connectedness of everything. And as long as it has a serenity component, which is meditation, and as long as it has an ethical component, which are the precepts, if you've got all those things working together in synergy, then you have a complete practice. If you just take one out of it, just focus on insight, no precepts, no meditation, when you've got a third of a practice. Mm-hmm. You just want to meditate, not interested inside the precepts, one third of a practice. Put the whole thing together and, and you have a complete practice. And they, they all these 
different aspects of it resonate with one another. Um, but to say a little bit more about shikantaza as a practice, because we do, I start people off with breath counting to develop concentration, then usually it progresses on to thought labelling, which is a kind of a mindfulness exercise. But with shikantaza, when people are ready to do it, and I didn't actually start practising shikantaza until I was about 20 years into practice. Um, it, it has no particular focus. You just turn up to the present moment in its whole sense coming and going without fixating your mind anywhere. You're not even fixating your mind on your breath or sounds. It's just that it's very holistic. And what's quite, people often don't quite fully understand what it is as a practice. Because a lot of people think it's just a, a calming practice to calm your mind. But it's, it's much more radical than that because the, 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 the principle of it is, the spirit of it is, is whatever experience you have, whether it's a nice thought or a nice emotion or it's a really negative passion emotion like rage or anger, or even if it's a sexual fantasy or it's thinking, whatever it is, whatever it is, you open up fully into that experience. So it's not about becoming good and, and not becoming bad. It's not about being calm and not being agitated. It's about, there's no, there's no judgment about the experience. You just turn up and you open up fully and give yourself over to every experience that you have. And, and by doing that, you, you overcome this duality in yourself. Do you know, well, I shouldn't have thoughts or I shouldn't have emotions or there shouldn't be language to describe things or there's an absolute and a relative. All of that just disappears. It's all rubbish anyway, right? It's all just words anyway and concepts. And so all the dualisms disappear. And instead of practising being a an observer to your experience and trying to transform yourself from a bad person to a good person or whatever way you want to put it, you just turn up to everything that happens and you're completely there with it as a physical experience. So to give an example, say you were sitting and, and, and you realised what was happening is you were going into a real passionate rage about something, right? So what you would do, it's like you, you can see it's occurring. And so you, you open fully, it's like you open fully to the experience of being in a rage. Right? So if you're going to experience it, like really, really turn up to it mm -hmm. and be that experience, like be the, the raw emotion of it. Right? And it's by doing this over and over again with all of our experience um, that we don't we don't grasp at anything, we don't have an aversion to anything, and the passions transform into creative passions, you know, rather than being destructive um, passions. But we're, while ever we're we're gaining, we're shooting for some kind of special experience. We're not really embodied. We're not really present, and we're in a dualistic mind frame. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very important to understand what actually is in, involved. Um, 
in Shikantasa practice. It's not for the faint-hearted. Uh-huh. It's not about creating being a good Buddhist even, but it's a very powerful practice because it is so raw and it's so honest. And when you practice, what's challenging about it, at least to begin with, is that you have no fixed point. There's no there's no frame of reference. There's no philosophy. There's no concentration point. There's nothing to fix your mind on whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like you've got no anchor other than sitting in this body. And you say you're just sitting in this body and you're really turning up to savouring the momentariness of each passing moment and the emptiness of each passing moment where there's nothing to cling on to, nothing to make sense, nothing to understand. It's just purely experiential. So on the one hand, it's kind of challenging and almost scary in a way, like existentially scary because there's nothing to cling to. There's no meaning in it or anything. Um, And yet to, to practice it when you give yourself over to it, is so um, liberating, you know, so so fulfilling in a sense to realise that there's nothing to gain outside of what actually is happening right now. So just a little bit of history, um, a little bit more kind of understanding of what these practices are. The koan system, the benefit in the koan system is that it it helps us to break down the conceptual cage that we're all in. You know, we're all entranced by language and concepts and we see the world through that lens so much. And when you do koan practice, it's been described as using concepts to destroy concepts. Um, you just don't you're not you're not locked into this this very highly intellectualized language based perspective of understanding life. It breaks down and, and your life becomes more experiential. So whether it's shikantaza or meditation with koan practice, it just becomes more experiential rather than, than over-intellectualised or, or grasping at something. But they both take you to the same, to the same place. 